Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you for tuning in. If this is the first time you've ever listened to one of these episodes, please go back into the archives and listen to more shows. We have interviewed almost 200. This is episode 206. Some of the shows are just me, but we have interviewed almost 200 really cool entrepreneurs who are sharing sort of their story of how they got to where they are and and what they're doing. And jump over to the Facebook page, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and follow us there. Or Follow us on Twitter, at Cool Podcast, and if you really like the show, go over to iTunes and leave a review. It makes my day so much brighter when people leave a positive review on iTunes about our show. So today, as always, we have an interview with somebody doing something really cool. Now, if you have ever been to Ann Arbor, Michigan, the odds are that you have eaten at Zingerman's. Now, I will tell you, this is a world-famous deli. People who go to come from all over the place to eat at Zingerman's when they're in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area. And if you have ever gone to the University of Michigan, if you've ever gone to a football game in the big house, I bet that you have been here there to eat. Now, when I went to see San Diego State, my alma mater, play Michigan five years ago, of course, my friend who I traveled to the game with, we knew we had to go eat at Zingerman's. Now, when you go to the original location, there's not a lot of parking there. So I dropped my friend off and I had to drive around the neighborhood looking for parking. And he got to the front of the line before I reached him and he had to make a choice on what he should order for me. And he ordered me a sandwich called Tom's new job. And I always remember it was like, it was like turkey and Russian dressing and coleslaw. And I always remember it's not something I probably would have ordered if I had gotten to the front of the line myself. But I always remember thinking this is one of the best sandwiches I've ever had. And today it is so cool because I have one of the co-founders of Zingerman's here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And that is Ari Weinswig, and he started this back in the 80s and has grown it into an international phenomena. And so I would like to welcome him here to the show. Ari, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for being for having me on. Oh, no, I really appreciate it. So why don't you tell the audience a little more? I mean, I, I've only been there once. I can't do justice to what Zingerman's is and, and how you became an entrepreneur. Why don't you give us a little background and, and tell us about it? Sure. I'm not sure I can do justice either to all of it in a quick interview. But uh, so let me start with, I guess, my own story. I uh, grew up in Chicago, uh, came to Ann Arbor to go to school at, at University of Michigan, studied Russian history, uh, particular focus on the anarchists, which we can talk about later if you want. Uh, after graduating, I, I really had no clue what I wanted to do next. There isn't a whole lot you can do with a history degree, which was not a shock to me. I, I knew that. Um and mostly I, I just knew I didn't want to move back home. Uh, in order to not go back home, I needed a job. I had driven a cab while I was in school, which was not hardly very glamorous. Uh, one of my roommates was waiting tables in a restaurant in downtown Ann Arbor, which, of course, is only 10 minutes from the edge of Ann Arbor. But uh, I went in there looking for a, a job waiting tables. Uh, they told me they'd call me when something opened up. I waited a couple of weeks. They hadn't called me. I went back and reapplied as a busser and 
they said they'd call me, waited two more weeks. They still hadn't called me. And I went back and said, Hey, I really got to work. I'm running out of money. Do you have anything? And they said, uh, do you want to wash dishes? And never having worked in food, I didn't know you weren't really supposed to want to wash dishes. So, uh, <laughs> I just said, sure, that sounds great. And, uh, that's how I got started. So, uh, there's no fabulous, glamorous entrepreneurial story about loving cooking as a child. My mother was a good person and a substitute teacher in the same school for 40 years, but not a good cook. <laughs> And uh, to be honest with you, I, the the new book I just did that just came out is on uh, the power of beliefs in business. And in hindsight, I could see I had very negative beliefs about business. Uh, so I really just got lucky that I stumbled into work I, that I love. I love food and cooking now, and it's been my life for the last 35 years or actually more. And uh, also into great people. So Paul Saginaw, who's been my partner in all this from the beginning, was the general manager at that uh, restaurant. And that's how we met when I started washing dishes. Uh, Frank, <clears throat> Frank Carollo, who's one of the partners at our bakery, whose uh, bread you had on that sandwich. You, Maggie Bayless, uh, who's one of the managing, who is the managing partner at Zing Train, uh, which is our, our training some uh, business through which we teach a series of leadership uh, and other organizational seminars. Uh, she was a cocktail waitress, so I don't know why we were all in there together, but we're, we're still friends and working together 38 years later. So <laughs> I worked for that restaurant group for about four years, all told, prepping, line cooking, and then managing kitchens. Uh, Paul left about partway through that and opened a little, uh, actually, very, very good uh, fish market here in town. And he and I stayed friends, and we would talk off and on about doing something together. And uh, fall of 81, November 1, to be exact, I gave two months' notice at that restaurant group. Uh, I didn't hate going to work, but it was just very becoming ever more clear to me that where they were going and where I was going was not the same place. And so I decided to move on. And uh, he called me two days later, not even knowing I had given notice. And he said there was this little building coming open by the fish market. And that's the one you stood in line at. And uh, we looked at the space. And uh, four and a half months later, we uh, opened up the deli, March 15th, 82. Uh, original space was 1,300 square feet. Uh, 29 seats, 25 sandwiches, some bread from other bakeries because we didn't have our own then. And, you know, a little bit of olive oil, mustard, cheese, smoked fish and pate and all that good stuff. And uh, then fast forwarding to today, uh, our organization is Zingerman's Community of Businesses. Uh, we have, I don't know what we have, nine or ten businesses all located here in the Ann Arbor area. Each is different. Uh, part of our vision is that we only do things here in the area and we only do things once. So no, no replicas. Uh, and we only do things when we have a managing partner in the business. So there's a, a partner in each of those. And, and just real quickly, we have the deli, which we've expanded, I think, three times, uh, which is still the biggest single thing. Uh, our mail order business, we ship food all over the country. Uh, we have a bakery, as I said. We have a creamery where we make fresh cheese and gelato. We have a coffee roasting business. We have Zing Train, as I mentioned, which is our training business. A candy company. Uh, we have a farm. Zingerman's Roadhouse is a sit-down restaurant doing all regional American food. And uh, we have an event space there. We took over the adjacent property three years ago, and we renovated the 1830s barn and farmhouse uh, to do uh, weddings and corporate events and stuff out there. And later this fall, we're going to open a Korean re traditional Korean restaurant. So, Ari, how does somebody who studied the anarchists mm -hmm. become this giant serial entrepreneur? Well, I don't know that we're giant or serial entrepreneur. I actually don't even think of myself as an entrepreneur, but I, I, 
well, I got a job as a dishwasher. That's, <laughs> that's <how it> <laughs> uh, I mean, I never really sought to get into business. I just liked cooking and I, I liked the food business and Paul called me and, and we decided to do it, you know? So, um, you know, when we opened, I mean, uh, part one of the business book, it's a four part series. Part one has a lot of essays about visioning and the visioning process that we use, which is quite drastically different from pretty much everyone else's. Uh, it, there's also an essay in there called 12 natural laws of business. And the first natural law of business is that all successful organizations, whether small, large food, pharmaceuticals, or, or football teams, doesn't really matter. All of them that are getting to greatness have an inspiring and strategically sound vision, whether they call it that or not, doesn't really matter. Uh, so anyway, we had one, uh, which was, you know, to create something unique and special, not a copy of anything from New York or Chicago or Detroit or L.A. Uh, we knew we wanted great food and service and a great place for people to work in a very down-to-earth, uh, accessible setting and do something that was really grounded in the community. And we knew from the get-go we only wanted one. Uh, as I said, I don't really like replicas. I like unique, original things. And uh, and so you know, we started, I mean, when we opened, general wisdom was we were doomed to fail. Ann Arbor had had about 10 or 12 delis closed in the previous decade. Uh, people told us it was a bad neighborhood and there's still no parking to this day. <laughs> uh, five or six years later, we were considered geniuses. Ann Arbor, it turns out, always needed a deli and it was a brilliant location. Uh, I would say that pattern has been repeated with everything meaningful we've ever done. And I think probably everything meaningful in the world that's ever done is mostly people oppose it when it starts and they're behind it. You know, later they were behind it from the beginning. So uh, long story short, we added on to the deli a couple times. And in 1993, uh, so 11 years after we had opened, Paul sort of sat me down one day in front of the deli on that little bench, which you probably didn't even notice, but it's sitting out there. And uh, without any warning, he threw this question at me about where I wanted to be in 10 years. <clears throat> and, you know, of course, I had no clue. Uh, and in essence, what he was asking me using the language that we teach at Zing Train and that I write about and that we use in the organization is what's your vision? And I really didn't have one. I mean, it, it's not like I was satisfied. It's not like I wasn't trying to improve, but it's very different to move steadily forward from the moment you're in uh, than it is to sort of describe the future that you really desire to create. And uh, I don't think he had one either, but he knew intuitively that we had fulfilled that original vision and it was time to work on a new one. And that was when we started to learn about the visioning process more formally. And we ended up after a year of dialogue, arguing and disagreement, uh, coming up with a 15 year vision that we wrote out in the style kind of that we use now. And it was about six pages long. And that style, that vision outlined that we would have a community of businesses uh, all located here in the Ann Arbor area, uh, each, like I said, with its own unique specialty, each with managing partners in it and uh, yeah, operating as one organization that, you know, synergistically uh, contributed to all of its own elements and to the community. So, I guess that's how we created it. And then in 07, we wrote the next vision because the 2009 vision was almost over. And that one's for the year 2020, which shockingly is almost here now. So another <laughs> year, we're going to have to start the next one. So, you know, it's fascinating to me that you've decided not to replicate what has been very, very successful bi mm -hmm. business and businesses. What yeah. is it behind that? Well, I would suggest it's successful because we don't replicate it, number one. Uh, 
Number two, because it's not interesting to me to replicate it and I don't want to do work I don't believe in. Uh, I think that unique things are more interesting and more energetic. And I think when you go to the fifth unit or something of something, let alone the 15th or the 50th, it becomes ever more boring <laughs> and ever less interesting. And I think you can do business in it, but I don't think it's particularly intriguing. So uh, the epilogue of the new book, which is part four of the series, talks about my my ever stronger belief that that business is art and life is art and that uh you can replicate, but it's basically paint by numbers. And I think people who appreciate art always appreciate the original and they always appreciate uh, an, an artist who's doing something in a way that no one else has done it, whether it's a recording artist or a visual artist or a sculptor, uh, you know, or a presenter or, or really anything. And I think when you do something unique, it's it's special. And the folks here at, at U of M at the Positive Organizational Scholarship section of the business school have a little saying that I would agree with, which is that excellence is a function of uniqueness. Well, and as I look down the list of all the different types of businesses, in a way, I mean, you know, I just get excited that it's not the same old, same old right. every time you stick That's your true. finger in a pie. Exactly. So I, it's not that you can't do the other one and it's not like it's evil, but I, I just don't think it's interesting. And I think life is short and I don't really have the desire to work on things that I don't believe are interesting or rewarding. <laughs> and I think when what we did is create a model where you can continue to create new and innovative things within the context of a greater whole. Well, and I look at what the different businesses are, and I mean, just as as a person, I get kind of excited because yeah. I can speak no, I, to the deli, right? The deli was fantastic, and but then you have a restaurant, and a mail order business, and a bakery, and the creamery. I mean, you did mention you make gelato. Who doesn't want to like have access to constant gelato? And then can, candy company and coffee roasting and a farm and an event space. You know, I probably missed a couple things as I was writing them down, and yet all of those, from the standpoint of just being a person, none of them are. Boring businesses. I mean, coffee roasting, events, candy, a farm, they're all stuff that as a kid, who wouldn't have wanted to have done these things? So what do you love about the eclectic life that you've created? It, well, we're, we're trying and uh, it's all imperfect, but we're, we're, we're making it work. <laughs> do, do you ever think, well, gosh, after I graduated, I could have gone and sold insurance? No, I never thought that. And I would, I, no offense to insurance <laughs> agents, but not my area of interest. So what advice do you have for people who, who they're listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, this guy just goes and starts really fun and interesting businesses. I, I want to be that way. Someone who wants to go out and start their own thing, whether it's an insurance agency or a candy manufacturer or a deli, what advice do you have for somebody who wants to carve their own path? Well, I, I think, uh, I mean, that's really what the business books and what Zing Train, our training business are about is just sharing our approaches. So we're, we're, the, the business books are on the zingtrain.com website, and then we have training seminars, uh, which are not food-specific at all. They're about leadership, customer service, uh, our visioning process, which I mentioned, uh, open book management, which is a whole other subject about involving everybody in running the business. So there, there's quite a bit going on here, and, and I, I think really uh, there is no one singular piece of advice, uh, but, but they're all in there. I mean, writing a vision for what you want to achieve uh, is one I wish I had known about when we opened. I mean, I think we kind of had one in our heads, like I said, and we got lucky because it was kind of pretty much shared. 
but I, I think it's far more effective and powerful to actually write it out. Uh, if you don't know where you're going, the odds of getting where you want aren't really very high to state the obvious. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a huge one. Uh, the 12 natural laws of business is, you know, it's, it's my belief that all successful organizations are living in harmony with those. So if you study those and you get ready for them and you do your best to live them, it increases the odds significantly that you're going to make it. So you've mentioned a couple of times the, the visioning process. Mm-hmm. Tell yep. us a little bit more about your, your take on that. Well, it's, it's, I mean, most business school versions of visioning are sort of these little two-line statements that I've never been able to understand the difference between that and a mission statement. Uh, we have a mission statement also, which is uh, I write about our process again in part one of the business book. Uh, but the visioning as we do it is way more detailed description of the future that you do. Our 2020 vision is nine pages long. Uh, it's, it's really describing uh, with emotionally meaningful uh, sensorily uh, interesting detail that describes the future you want. And, you know, some of those things, uh, you know, might be in a business plan, but there's a lot more to your life than what goes into business plan. And so how you want to feel when you leave work, how you want the people who uh, work with you to feel about their jobs, uh, how big you want to get, you know, to your, your question about repeating. I mean, it was never my or our vision to grow and open a franchise of businesses all over the country. To me, it's antithetical to what I would ever want to do. So if you're clear on that, then it just makes your decision-making easier. Uh, It allows you to focus your resources better. And there's nothing wrong with doing a franchise, but if that's what you want to do from the beginning, you're going to make really different decisions. So you've talked about the people who you work with and who've been part of your growth. And one person was a cocktail waitress and one person was the manager of the restaurant you worked in. So how important is it to align yourself with the right people? How important is that network of people you surround yourself with to be successful as an entrepreneur? Well, I think to be successful in life, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess our approach to business is not really any different than our approach to, to living a holistically rewarding life. I think it's actually the same. Uh, I, I think part of what happens in, in, in the mainstream business world is the way they're working is actually opposed to human nature uh, and antithetical to how most people want to live. And that creates a, 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 an energy drain and an, an exhaustion uh, and burnout. But when you live in harmony with nature and you're trying to do basically the same things in all parts of your life, it's far more rewarding. Um, but, but anyway, so I think being around the right people, yeah, I mean, partnering with people who don't share your values and your beliefs, uh, and who don't share your vision and they're not all the same, you know, it's not going to work well. And, and there's always tension, but at least if those are aligned, then you, you have a pretty good shot if you're, if you're willing to dialogue regularly to figure it out. Uh, you know, being surrounded by good people in your life. I mean, you know, um, emotion is contagious. If you, if you hang out with negative, cynical people, it doesn't mean they're bad people, but the odds of not picking up the negative negativity and cynicism is pretty low. Uh, and similarly, or conversely, I mean, if you're hanging around with interesting people who are, you know, contributing positively to the world around them and learning a lot and excited about what they're doing. It's, it's much easier to do those things yourself. I, I don't remember the exact study. I'm sure you've probably seen it too, but I mean, you know, the, the habits of the five people you spend the most time with are highly likely to be replicated in your own life. So getting around good people is, is huge. 
So you talked about the fact that you have uh, a general manager, a partner in every business who who they you know are have expertise and a passion about that business. How do you find these people? They're they're actually owners. They're managing partners. We use a consensus model for uh, decision making at the partner level. Uh, we, you know, the process that we use sort of gets longer every time we use it because we screw something up and then we try to fix it. But, you know, most of the time, not always, they're coming from within the organization and the idea is that they're people who, uh, you know, have worked with us and, uh, you know, are, are, are hopefully fairly well assimilated into our values and, and culture, uh, and then it starts by them writing, you know, having a conversation. And the next thing is them drafting a vision of what the business is, because, you know, if their vision is to build it up and sell it in five years, that's not our vision. So it doesn't mean they can't do that. It's just not going to work with us. So I have a couple, I have a couple more questions for you. But first, yeah. I've got to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting, the technical work, and all the other little stuff that would drive you crazy so that you can focus on just creating great content, interviewing cool guests, and growing your audience. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, check out the offer they have for the listeners of this show at podfly.net slash cool things. So Ari, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what's the coolest thing you're doing? I mean, you've been in business a long time. What's the coolest thing you're doing right now in your businesses? Right now I'm talking to you. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that but, is cool. Uh, I, you know, we got, I mean, we try to mostly do only cool things. So I don't know where to start. Uh, we just started our employee ownership program in February after six years of working on it. Uh, you know, we're not, we, we, we can't really do the sort of typical things everybody else does because our organizational structure is so unusual. So we spent a long time trying to figure out a way to do it. And that's been going great. Uh, two years ago, we added three, uh, what we call staff partners. So the organization is run by consensus of all the partners. So that's 20, 21 people. We added three, uh, non-partners to that from the staff, uh, not as representatives, but just to bring a more diverse uh, perspective to things. Uh, I just had this new book come out after three years of, well, really my whole life, but three years of working hard on that. So that's always a, uh, you know, scary and also uh, exciting thing and all the stuff that's in there around the power of beliefs. Uh, there's a couple essays on the role of hope in the workplace and how to cultivate it. There's an essay on spirit of generosity uh, and some other stuff. So that's 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 pretty cool stuff. And, and you know, we got a thousand other things going on. We got our new cold brew coffee that's shelf stable. We got uh, we're working on some new potato chips with uh, incredible spices that we get through a family in Montreal that we love. All kinds of things. So what is the title of the new book? What's the newest one? Well, they're, they're, they're all called uh, from the Zingerman's Guide to Good Leading series, and they all start with elapsed anarchist approach to, and then this is part four, the power of beliefs in business. Awesome. So the one that I got that my friend brought me when he met you was actually the lapsed anarchist's approach to being a better leader. So that's the yep. one I've been reading through. And I that's will tell you, you've got a lot of information in this book, and it's all inspiring. Well, that's pretty good. There's part three, which is on managing ourselves, which is just what it sounds like, mindfulness, self-management, et cetera. And then part one I mentioned earlier was the first one, obviously, was on uh, a lot on building a great business. And it's got a lot of stuff on, uh, 
visioning, mission statements, as I mentioned, guiding principles, culture building, and all that. And I tried to write them so people could read in any order they want or even just skip around from essay to essay if they want. Yeah, well, even in the book, I've sort of skipped around to things because yep. it's, it's a big book and I knew I was going to interview you. So I've sort of skipped around from, from one to one. But even so, yep. it's, you know, every little thing I like in the back, you have like little, little short ones and things like that. It's just really, it's a really good nuggets of information for anyone in business. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm guessing you've looked at a lot of those books. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I've written several books, but then I've also had the opportunity to meet a lot of authors, interview a lot of authors, and uh, read a lot. I've probably read, I don't know, 500 books in my life on business and career and self-help. And uh, I will tell you that uh, every now and then things stand out where you're like, wow, there's a lot of information in here. So on the on the Zing Train side, because that's sort of my world, I'm a, I'm a professional speaker and trainer. Uh, well, how does that business operate? What do you do? Do you go out and do the training? Do you have a staff of people? Well, how does we, Zing Train we, work? There's a, there's a, it started, uh, I mentioned Maggie uh, Bayless, who worked with us in the restaurants, and it started in her attic in 1994. Uh, and, and we've grown it. I don't know what we have 13, 14 full time staff now. They're not all trainers. Um, and then other people in the organization, like me, who have other jobs in the organization, also speak or do training. So uh, the core of the work is around the training seminars that we do here in Ann Arbor. Again, they're on the zingtrain.com website. Uh, we don't do consulting. We just really share our approaches and help fe- people figure out how to adapt them to their own settings if they're interested to do that. And I think we have 10 different two-day seminars now on everything from HR practices to the visioning stuff we've talked about, leadership we mentioned. Uh, I do one a two-day one on managing ourselves, which came out of the third book, which has been pretty powerful for people. So all, all that kind of stuff. And then we go out and, and you know, uh, Zing Train does training. I speak pretty regularly. I just talked to a guy. I'm going to be keynoting at their conference for uh, financial professionals in uh, in November. Uh, I'm at another one in in November for a hotel group. Uh, I'm going to be speaking to 2,500 people there. Uh, you know, so that's that's how it works. And then the, the business books. We actually went back to self publishing. I didn't really enjoy the. Uh, publishing world experience so we went back to doing our own so we do all the design and everything ourselves and they're printed here in ann arbor and we're sort of off the grid with them so mm-hmm. uh, people can get them off the zingtrain.com website awesome so i love it when i have people on the show because we could talk about you and zingerman's and zingtrain and all of your businesses we could do a four-hour show but we only have about a half hour and we could do more. We got we got we got ten two day seminars. We could be on here for weeks. <laughs> well, and you know, I want to say one other thing about the seminars. How cool that everybody then has to go to you. You don't go out to them. They have to come to Ann Arbor for the seminars. Well, That's we, a great we go way there to do too it. if people want. But I, I think there's a lot to be said for people coming here and seeing it. It's imperfect reality. I mean, I, I I think when you you know, it's sort of the difference between I bring you a great. A uh, piece of cheese from Paris is delicious, and you eat it at, on your table in Austin. But it's something else to go to Paris and be in the cheese shops and experience it in its in its natural setting. And I think that us going offsite is great. And if people have 200 employees, they're obviously not bringing them all to Ann Arbor, probably. But I, I think there's merit for the upper level people to come and and you know really talk to people who work here and really taste the food and 
feel the energy of the businesses and, and see the imperfections, you know, because I think it makes it more real. So we do go out, go off site, but I think it's, I always recommend people come here first if they can. Well, I think that Ann Arbor is one of those great destination towns where you wouldn't, you wouldn't think if you hadn't been there, how cool of a, of a city it's going to be. So that's, that's a good, good place to go for a, for a training seminar for a couple of days. I, and the food is guaranteed to be better at this one than any other training seminar they've ever been at. <laughs> that's right. Cause, and they can go stand in line and have Tom's new job. Yeah, well, if they're, well, if they're. and they go on Tuesday from, from here, they won't be standing in line like you were on Saturday. <laughs> hey, so the, the question, I kind of wrap this up with two questions. And, yep. and one of them is, who besides you or your business partner or one of your, one of your other owners, who out there do you see who's an entrepreneur? Because I think great entrepreneurs are observers. So who do you see out there where you think, wow, they're doing something cool? Oh, lots. Uh there's so many, I need a second to think about it. But I mean, on a big scale, you know, two people I'm friends with, Danny Meyer from Union Square Hospitality in New York, and also Mario Batali, you know, two, two well-known food uh, business folks are both doing creative work with their organizations. And then another food business in San Francisco that's great, that's well-known is Byright, and Sam Oganum is doing great work there. But uh, I mean, there's so many. Room 214 is a great uh, design firm in in Boulder, uh, uh, God, there's tons down where you are. Antonelli's cheese shop. Oh, I've, uh, I, we love, Amy's, we go to Antonelli's all the time. My kids love going to Antonelli's. Okay. Well, they probably like Amy's ice cream too, and they're yep. doing great work. Uh, uh, Anthony Wild design build in, in, uh, DC is a great zinc train client and they're doing creative work. I mean, I, I think there's cool businesses all over organizations really all over the place. You just have to look for them. Yeah, well, that's, that, that's absolutely right. So the other question is, I think in addition to making money, I think that entrepreneurs want to sort of leave their mark. So I love to ask the guests on this show, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Well, I, I think really for us, it's all to the greater good. I, I mean, I don't, the money's never been the main motivator for <laughs> me or Paul. And I, I think the money's important. It's it's on the natural laws of business list without good finance, you feel. But I, I think that the money for me is like the gas in the car. The car don't go without it, but I don't really have any emotional attachment to gas. Uh, I just don't want to run out. So uh, I, I think really the whole point is to contribute. It's in our mission statement. It's in our vision. It's in our spirit. It's in our beliefs. And, you know, I look at business like an ecosystem and, uh, you know, you can't really do a great run a great organization in an unhealthy ecosystem. So, you know, a lot of the mid, the 20th century model of business in late 19th century was all about extraction and extracting as much as you could for as little as you could spend. And I think that's the opposite of what we're trying to do. We try to look at it more generatively, right? So the idea is to leave everybody and everything better than when we got here, not worse. <clears throat> and there's an essay in the new book on spirit of generosity, which uh, you know, looks at one of the people I studied when I studied anarchists, uh, and, uh, his name was Peter Kropotkin and he wrote a book in 1902, which coincidentally is the, uh, year that the Delhi building was built and, uh, it's called mutual aid. And his basic book was written around the idea that Darwin's, uh, theory of survival of the fittest was correct, but that Thomas Hobbes, who had been the main, uh, most vocal interpreter of Darwin and had brought the idea of war against all of all against all as what Darwin intended. Kropotkin said Darwin was right, but Hobbes was wrong. It's not a war of all against all. To the contrary, the most 
fittest, the ones who survive and thrive the most are the ones who are most collaborative, which means the ones who provide mutual aid, the ones who are the most generous. So if really for us, it's, it's almost more how much you can give away. And I don't mean we're not focused on trying to make a living or that we don't try to make money because obviously we do, but you know, we've brought, uh, over the years now 20 whatever partners are managing partners in a business that they own part of now we have 240 employee owners uh the idea is to keep bringing more and more people into the mix to donate generously to the community uh we give 10 percent uh, of our profit each year goes out to donations in the next year and an <clears throat> another five percent goes to a community chest that uh, goes to uh, employees who work here that are in crisis uh and you know then just trying to be generous of spirit. I mean, giving people a second chance, trying to help people in life who've, you know, made some bad decisions, which we've all made, but some of them got caught mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and paid some price for it. And, and oftentimes those people are excluded or people who've, you know, grown up in settings where they didn't have the resources that you and I probably had growing up and not like we had it easy, but uh, a lot of people have it a lot harder. So that's what we try to do. Well, and that's awesome. And I love that whole thing about it's about being the most collaborative because I think that you live that on a daily basis if you really, you know, pick up the hood and look under what you're doing in Ann Arbor and beyond and with your companies and with your employees and partners. I think you yep. you live by that being most collaborative. So I want to thank you for doing that and thank you for sharing that with the listeners yeah. of the show. And my, my email is just ari at zingermans.com. So if anybody's interested uh, for more dialogue, they're more than welcome to just reach out. Yeah, and I encourage people to pick up one of his books. You can get them on the Zing Train website, and you can find more. If you are anywhere within an hour's drive of Ann Arbor, Michigan, get in the car and go eat at Zingerman's. You will not be sorry. I Five years ago, I still can taste the sandwich, and I have brushed my teeth since then, so I still mentally can taste the sandwich. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Hey, thank you for being on the show. And for everybody who listened, I say it all the time. If it wasn't for the listeners, we wouldn't have a show. So thanks for tuning in. If you liked this show, go back and listen to some others. And send the link to some friends. Tell some friends you got to listen to cool things entrepreneurs do. And you got to hear this show with the guy from Zingerman's. So Ari, thanks again for being on the show. Thanks to everybody who listened. We're going to be back in a couple of days with another interview with somebody just as cool as Ari I know that sounds hard, but we're going to find them. Somebody just as cool. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.